What makes somebody a Christian? What makes Dave and Esther Christians? Did you hear in Dave's story how he talked about, he said, I always thought I was a Christian. I did what I was supposed to do, and I didn't do what I was supposed not to do. I suspect he was being slightly economic with the truth. I don't think he was a perfect child. I've just met his mother. I'm sure she can fill me in on the details later. But I suspect what Dave said there is, is true for how many, many people view what does it mean to be a Christian. Somebody who does the right things. Somebody who doesn't do the wrong things. I wonder how you answer that question. Who is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What makes a Christian a Christian? Is it where you're born? Is it what family you come from? Is it about how good your attendance is in a place like this on a Sunday, week by week? Is it being baptized or christened? Some people would answer the question, what does it mean to be a, a, a Christian? They'd say it's a follower of Jesus. But even that term is, is ambiguous. Because you can be a follower of somebody in a, in a Facebook way where you click, yes, I will follow you, but then immediately say, no, I don't want any notifications, but I just want to acknowledge that we are sort of vaguely familiar, and it would be rude to turn you down. Or you can follow somebody in a way which says, hey, yeah, well, we met once, but we haven't actually seen each other in person for years, decades. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As, as a church, we've been uh, looking at this, this book of Mark. This is an eyewitness account from one of his closest friends, Peter, written down by a guy called Mark to tell us about Jesus, about who he was and what he did. And I want us to just ask the question today, did Jesus come for people like me? Did Jesus come for people like me? We've heard from Dave and Esther, and we've heard them say that Jesus came for people like them. But perhaps you're in that situation where you're thinking, I, I get that Jesus comes from, for, for other people, but they're not like me. Does Jesus come for people like me? Let's turn back to the Bible, that passage that uh, Ian's just read to us. Um, I don't know if this is going to work. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Go. I knew I was going to go too far. Let's look at the scenario. You look down at verse 24. Jesus left that place, the place where he'd been, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Jesus goes north, north and west from, from where he has been working, where he has been speaking to people and healing. Okay, so we'll now look at the, the map, all right? This, you see the, the bit of body of water in the middle? That's, I'm, I'm pointing at a screen over there, okay? I know it's not great, okay? There's a bit of blue in the middle, the Sea of Galilee. As Mark's been telling us about Jesus, that Jesus has been primarily based around this, this lake in the towns and villages around there. But now Mark tells us that he, he goes northwest, he goes to a place called Tyre. He leaves Israel, leaves Judea, and Mark doesn't tell us exactly why. 
he doesn't say, give us any particular reasons, but we can make an, an educated guess, given that he, Mark tells us that he, Jesus wanted to be hidden. Jesus has been surrounded by people. Because of what he's been saying, because of what he's been doing, the crowds have been coming day by day. And Jesus needs a break. Jesus and his followers need a rest. Jesus was a man, truly human. And his work, like our work, was tiring. The crowd stayed with him wherever he went. And he and his disciples needed a break. So he goes to, to Tyre. And you can see from the map, maybe you can't, okay, so sort of top left, the place called Tyre on the coast. This is outside of Israel, outside of where the people would not be Jewish, like Jesus was. A foreign place, but hopefully a, a quieter place. But despite Jesus' best intentions, he doesn't remain hidden. Word gets out that Jesus is here. Jesus has become known, become known wider than, than Israel, wider than the places where he's been. And it, it shouldn't be surprising to us. If we, maybe you've never read any of, of the Bible, you've never read anything about Jesus. But if you were to read Mark's account, the, the seven chapters up to where we are today, we would read of an incredible response to what Jesus has been saying and doing. When somebody does the miraculous works that the Bible claims that Jesus did, we'd expect people to start talking. In, in our terms, we'd say we would expect Jesus to go viral. Because when Jesus went, and when Jesus spoke, and when Jesus acted, people responded. Mark records this a couple of times, people just going, who is this? There is a shock, a surprise, an amazement that here is this man who is unlike anybody we've ever met or heard of. In today's world, there would be, you know, these viral video clips. There would be on Facebook, short videos, people going, hey, look, I'm here. You know, those shaky handheld videos that you get, like, from sports games. That's what we would do. People would be doing those. There would be Twitter moments, people tweeting about Jesus. He said this today. Did you hear what he said to that person? Did you hear what he did for her and for him? His speeches would be trending on YouTube. Because wherever he goes, whoever he interacts with, Jesus is, is turning the world upside down. And Mark has told us earlier that people from this place Tyre and the place just north there, Sidon, had come. They had traveled into, into a foreign country to hear Jesus, to come to him, to bring their sick to him. So when word gets out that Jesus is in Tyre, it doesn't shock us that this woman comes straight round to see him. What do we know about this woman? Well, we don't have a name, but we do get a need and a nationality. She is a mother, a mother of a daughter who's possessed by an evil spirit, Mark tells us, and she is a Greek or a Greek-speaking person. She is fundamentally not a Jew. She is not of the same people that Jesus is. She is different, an outsider, a foreigner. And she has this great need that her daughter is afflicted. We don't know anything more than that. 
let's stop for a minute and ask this, this need that she has. Because I think it, it, we want to ask, what does this mean? When, when Mark tells us in verse 25, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, well, that sounds foreign to our, our ears, doesn't it? That's not the sort of thing that you, we, we talk about on a, on a day-to-day basis. Maybe you've never talked about that. I wouldn't be surprised. When it comes to demons, evil spirits, the, the Bible is, well, not, I wouldn't say full of them, but they're not absent by any means. The writer C.S. Lewis talked about this. He said there are two equal and uh, opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or evil spirits. One is to disbelieve in their existence, And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, somebody who doesn't believe in evil spirits, and a magician, somebody who really believes in them. They hail them with the same delight. As Christians, as people, as a church, people who believe in the Bible, we can be sure that the existence of People, spirits, forces that are opposed to God. The Bible plainly depicts evil spirits as as fallen angels, creatures who were made by God to, to worship him and to serve him and to delight in him, who said, no, we want to go our own way. The Bible's clear about that. And we, the Bible's clear about what their goal is now. Their goal is to disrupt the plans of God. They want to do people ill. They want to bring people, turn people away from from God and his goodness. And I get that we may struggle to believe that. Because we, especially in our society, Western society, we're taught to be rational. Really, we're taught to... To, you know, watch the old game show, say what you see. And so having evil spirits which we can't see feels like a stretch for us. But the Bible makes clear that there is this opposition, that spirits are at play. And the Bible makes clear that as God seeks to do his will and his work in the world, there is a strong possibility that the evil forces will oppose that. Now, you may be skeptical. I want to ask you just to, just to hold on that, okay? That's not the main thrust of this story, but it's there, and we want to comment on it. And this spirit is affecting this daughter of the woman. We don't know how that plays out. In, in other parts of the Bible, the spirits make them physically sick or make, t- turn them out of their mind, give them strength beyond uh, normal human strength. But we don't know quite what that looks like for this girl. But we do know that it's driven the mother to distraction. This is probably all she can think about. This is the biggest thing on her mind. It's the first thing she thinks about in the morning when she wakes up. It's the last thing she thinks about before she goes to sleep. Her daughter is afflicted, is, the Bible says, possessed. And she begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. That's the the story here. That's what's going on. This woman who is a foreigner, an outsider, comes to Jesus and says, help me. 
She begs of him. And if, again, if we've been walking with Mark through the account of the life of Jesus, we kind of know what happens next. When Jesus encounters evil and suffering, he, he heals him. He restores. He saves. He makes it better. Jesus is going to intervene and deliver the daughter from oppression. But what happens next is, is what brings us to our second point. What Jesus says is, is shocking to us. So secondly, the, the, the shocking words of Jesus. Listen again to what Jesus says. He tells a, a story to the woman in reply as she begs him to heal her daughter. And it's a familiar setting, I think, for us. It's a table in a home. A meal is being brought out and set before the occupants of the home. And the priority is to, to feed the children. See, verse 27, Jesus says this, First let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the docks. And as we put ourselves in the, the shoes of that woman, as she's come desperate to Jesus, perhaps she, perhaps we, can only really hear one word, that final word, dogs. Did Jesus just call her a dog? What is going on? What's going on? This isn't what Jesus is supposed to say, is it? This isn't what Jesus is supposed to be like. Isn't Jesus supposed to be kind, to be gentle, to be compassionate? Isn't it gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Isn't our understanding of Jesus, this Middle Eastern man with his flowing locks and easy smile, the children gathered at his feet? Doesn't Jesus just want people to be happy? And maybe at this point, you, like me, are immediately going back to Dave and Esther's stories and going, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that's not how Jesus works. Listen, we have got to let our view of Jesus to be, be informed by the Bible, not let our view of Jesus inform the Bible. Because as Jesus replies to this woman, what he does is he tests her. Again, we heard from Dave and Esther's stories that God works in this way. He, he probes, he tests, he wounds in order to heal. What is Jesus doing here? He's, he's the equivalent of, of putting a knife into a joint of meat. Is it ready? Is it cooked? And it's uncomfortable. It makes us wince. Jesus is not interested in cosmetic help, in making us look or feel a bit better as we continue on our merry way, living life as we choose to. Jesus as exampled here, is seeking out those who will trust him. Elsewhere, the Bible paints the picture of Jesus as a shepherd who's searching for, for lost sheep, those who will listen to his voice. 
Again, Jesus is going to shock us if our view of Jesus is something different because he's pursuing people, he's pursuing us more fully, more deeply than, than any of us naturally want to go. Nobody chooses the scenario that, that Dave and Esther have lived through. Nobody chooses cancer. Nobody says, yeah, that's the way I want to go. Nobody would choose, would choose for, for Jesus to respond like this to them, to say, you're a dog. Jesus here is pushing and saying to her, are you all in? I was in a coffee shop last week, and one of the staff brought round some free tasters, cinnamon rolls. And they said, would you like to try one? And I said, I would love to. And I chose the biggest one off the plate. They were very generous. And it was lovely. The problem for them was that the taster was so big that I had then no desire at all to actually buy one because I basically had a free one. If you give out the freebie that's too big, nobody's actually going to buy what you're selling. When Jesus speaks like this to the woman, Listen again, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He lays his cards on the table. He says, I'm not interested in giving you a taste and seeing you walk out of the door. He's not interested in just giving us an easier life, a bigger house, a better job, a a nice husband or wife and a, a nice family. He's after more. He wants nothing less than to fulfill the deepest longings of our hearts, of our souls, to be loved and accepted, to be known fully, to be accepted as a child of God. That's the great goal of what Jesus has come for. And he's prepared and he's planning to make you uncomfortable so that you will give all of yourself to him, so that you will get all that he's offering. So how does she respond? Thirdly, let's look at the the saving faith of the woman. Look at verse 28. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her Her response acknowledges that Jesus is in charge, that he is the king. She recognizes that Jesus has the right to to challenge her. She says, your your challenge is not out of place. You, You can do this. You are the Lord. And she takes his word, she takes his story, and she identifies two key things in what Jesus has said that she needs to respond to. Two words that represent two realities. Her response shows that she has understood why Jesus has used the word dogs. But also she has cottoned on to the fact that Jesus has said first. So let's look at those two words from what Jesus said and see how that plays out in her response. Dogs. The word for dogs that Jesus uses is, is not the usual word for, for dogs, okay? 
I'm not a Greek scholar. If you want to know more, Luke stood up at the back. He, he knows some Greek, okay? But the original language of the Bible, the, the word that Jesus uses here is a description of a, it literally means little dog, a pet dog, a sort of dog that would be kept in, in a house that would be, you know, a pet, basically. And in his story, Jesus says to the woman, he says, you, you are not deserving of what I can offer. You're not worthy. You don't qualify. She's not one of his people. She's not one of the the Jewish people. She's not a worshipper of of the God of the Bible, of the God of Israel, the God who has stepped into the world, who has called for himself a people, a God who is saving people. She doesn't know that God. She doesn't love that God. She doesn't worship that God. She is on the outside. But more than nationality, more than religion, she's outside because of her life and her heart. She is not deserving of the Holy God stepping into her life and and blessing her, of rescuing her, of saving her. And, And she knows it. When Jesus says, you are an outsider, you are a dog, she doesn't argue. She acknowledges that he's right. She's got no standing before Jesus. She's got no claim of of merit. She knows her heart is just like the heart that that, that Jesus has described that we looked at last week. If you weren't here, let me read you this description of what Jesus says goes on inside people. Men, women, boys, girls like, like us. He says... What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus says this is the state of all of our hearts. The fountain out of which all our actions and thoughts and words come, is a place in each of us that produces those sort of thoughts. And this woman says, that is true of me. She is a dog. And she owns it. But she also takes note of another word. Let me read again what Jesus said. First, let the little children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. First. First, let the children eat all they want. This is not a rejection from Jesus. It's an indication of priority for him. And while she may not be first, she recognizes that After first comes second, and third and fourth. Jesus doesn't say only the children will get bread. Only the children will be fed. Just that he has a priority to come to another people first. His own people, the the Jewish people. The story of the Bible, it, it is one big story made up of lots of little stories. But the story of the Bible is this, that God has been calling to himself a people from every part of this world. Every language, every skin color, every ethnicity. 
And he chose to do that by calling one man, Abraham, and one family, Abraham's family, his son, and then his grandson, and then his grandson had 12 sons, and then it exploded. One family, one nation, one people group that he was going to call them so that through them he might call to himself people from all backgrounds, all nations. He was going to use one nation to bless the world. And by fulfilling his promises, God shows himself to be faithful and glorious because he takes a weak, small, pathetic people who constantly let him down, constantly turn their back on him, and he says, I'm going to use you in your weakness and show that I am great. I am good. I am gracious. I am glorious. I, when you fail, I won't. That's what Esther reminded us of that God kept her even when she turned her back on him. And so when Jesus comes and steps into history, he comes to, to Israel, to the, the chosen people, both to save them but also to condemn them. Would they accept him? Would they accept God himself, the God they claim to worship? And those that turn to him, those that he saves, he sends out to the, the ends of the earth to all peoples, to make the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done known, so that more people and more people might turn to him and find life. First to the Jews, to Israel, then to the rest. And when this woman hears Jesus says, say, first, she says, there's a second. I can still get in on this. Jesus, you, you have come for, for people like me. She says, Jesus, I need you. I am desperate. And I know that you're, might, you're here for the, for the Jews first. But I know that you're not just here for them. You're here for, for all people. And she says, help me now. Give me the crumbs, Jesus. Do you hear what she said? She says, the children are going to get the bread, but can I have the crumbs? Will you give me something even today? One author writes about this account in this way. I'll put the quote up on the screen. It's quite a long quote. I, can you see that? Maybe. He says, Jesus is extraordinarily merciful to those at the bottom of the barrel. This woman has come needy and vulnerable, and she is admitting her shame. She really has nothing to lose. It's desperation that makes her so bold, and Jesus knows it. Their back and forth certainly looks cold. It goes on. She owns her shame. She admits her poverty. She knows she deserves nothing, yet she pleads for favor. Lord, help me. This is a prayer that Jesus will answer. There are no strings attached, no caveats, no power plays, no manipulation, no guilt trips, no claiming of rights, simply Lord, acknowledging that he is God and she is not, and help me, expressing her need by laying it at Christ's feet. Great is your faith, Jesus says. This woman has saving faith in Jesus. I am in need of mercy. 
And I believe you when you said that you came to feed and save people like me. What is a Christian? A Christian is a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who says, I'm a dog. I've got no claims on Jesus. I'm worthless and undeserving of any blessing. But I trust you, Jesus, when you said you come for people like me. And I need you. I wonder where you're at today. Have you responded to the Jesus who's revealed himself? One of the things that God does when he, when he speaks and saves the people is that he sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly lays bare their hearts. The ugliness, the brokenness. He makes them aware that they are an outsider, a dog. That they are in such need. And then he, and then he makes Jesus known to them and says, here's the way. Here is the way to life. It is through Jesus. And in that, there's a warning to us, especially if we are churched people. If we have fallen into the trap of thinking that we are deserving of Jesus, if our sin has not brought us low, maybe in a long time, maybe not ever, do we have this same faith in Jesus? We have to ask that question. God says that those who trust in Jesus, who place their faith in Jesus, become his children, become adopted into the family. And remind us of that as we prayed earlier. We are given a seat at his table. But we should never forget how we got there. Grace, undeserved favor, and mercy. And our church should be one, wherever, whoever walks in the door, we make clear to them through what we say, through who we are, that that offer of life is open to all. Put on the screen now, this, this is a business card of a church in the States. Oh, sorry, I forgot to click on. Okay. So this is the, this, they hand this out to people about their church. Says this is who we are. This is where we are, and this is their. They call it a mantra. Number one, I'm a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. Number three, anyone can get in on this. I would love it if that was our mantra as a church. I want you to hear that today, not least that third point. Anyone can get in on this. Anyone can come to Jesus as this woman did. Turn to the God who is there, who has revealed himself through his word and through his son. Recognize that they're a complete idiot, that their need is great, but also to trust that for those who who turn to Jesus, who unite themselves to him. That's what baptism is about. Luke told us about that earlier. He's saying, we are all in with Jesus. 
united to him in his death, united to him in his resurrection, putting the old behind, saying, Christ has paid for my sin at the cross, my shame. It's done, it's gone, and now I'm alive with him. And my future is incredibly bright. Anyone can join us, even now, even today. But we have to have those key elements of faith. When Jesus talks about what it means to be a a follower of him in Mark's gospel, so often he turns to this word faith or the word belief. What are you putting your trust, your hope in? And we must never get away from the fact that it's all of what the Bible calls grace. All completely undeserved. We're going to close shortly by singing a hymn together. A famous old hymn, And Can It Be? And it's a hymn, a song that expresses this, this amazement that, that God would care enough about me. Would care so much that he would include me in this, this great transaction of the cross. That, well, as Esther said, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for me. One of the verses, the hymn writer says this, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, should die for me? We own our dogmas. We say, yeah, I got nothing. But Jesus, you came for people like me. For people who have got nothing to offer, nothing to give, but are in need. And Jesus delights to save people, well, people like me, people like Dave and Esther, people who've got nothing. And he delights to give them everything. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing that last song. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you, Lord, that nothing has changed (laughs) from when this woman spoke to Jesus What she is like, so are we. And how Jesus responds to us, so he he responded to her, so he responds to us. Will you believe? Will you trust? Father, in our doubt, in weak hearts, we say we will. We will trust in Jesus. We will trust in his cross. We will trust in the forgiveness of sins that he offers. Though we have nothing, though we are idiots, because of Jesus, our future is incredibly bright. And Father, we pray that we would hold out this offer of life to all. Anyone can get in on this. Father, we pray you would continue to save here in Rotherham or through the the witness of the, the gospel in Richmond Church in Sheffield. Father, we pray for every church that holds out this gospel. Father, would you save people? even today, that Jesus might be known, that you might be glorified, that your church might be built, that this world might witness that there is a God who is acting and working, a God who loves worthless dogs. Father, such such are we, so are we, that you have saved us, you are changing us, 
and you are bringing glory to your name through us. And so we praise you in Jesus' name.